of Esther. The book of Esther, chapter 2, we'll go there. That's right before the book of Job. You can uh, look there in the Word of God, Esther, chapter 2, right there in between Nehemiah and Job. And uh, we'll look there in the Word of God. Uh, I will quite honestly tell you that I had uh, been working on another message I'm very inspired about and was moving towards this, but something very, very interesting happened on Monday that shifted my thinking and slide that one back to Sunday night. Maybe you read about this. This is a fascinating prophetic picture. Monday, the Prime Minister of Israel, Benjamin Netanyahu, had a meeting with President Obama. We were told that this meeting is because Iran is moving very close to having developed nuclear weapons, and Israel has decided that they are going to act unilaterally. That means they're going to act all by themselves, and they're not even going to tell the United States when they act. So he was called on the carpet to talk to our president, and apparently Obama was trying to discourage that and, uh, uh, you know, was not really for that. And they came out of the meeting with uh, Netanyahu saying, nobody is going to talk us out of protecting ourselves. But in this meeting, Benjamin Netanyahu did something very, very interesting. He presented President Obama a scroll of Esther. This book we're going to read. Now remember, the Bible was not published like a book. It was, they were scrolls. And when they read the Bible, they would have to open up these scrolls. And so they took a scroll of the book of Esther. And when he met with President Obama to discuss what to do with Iran, he handed him this scroll. And when he did this, he was speaking something very, very significant. And President or Prime Minister Netanyahu said to President Obama, then too, they wanted to wipe us out. And what he was referring to is a 2,500-year-old Bible story when Persia, which is modern-day Iran, decided they want to slaughter all the Jews that were living in their land. And how God stepped in. And he reached back to a story 2,500 years ago that we're going to look at tonight. And he helped us understand that there are things in the Bible that parallel what is happening in the world today. I want to preach a sermon tonight that I've entitled The Scroll of Esther. I want you to consider a few things that I believe are parallels and look at some of the major characters in this story that I think have meaning for you and I today. We'll begin in Esther chapter 2, beginning in verse 21. The Bible says uh, these words this evening. It says, In those days, while Mordecai sat within the king's gate, two of the king's eunuchs, Bigthan and Teresh, doorkeepers, became furious and sought to lay hands on King Ahasuerus. So the matter became known to Mordecai, who told Queen Esther, and Esther informed the king in Mordecai's name. And when an inquiry was made into the matter, it was confirmed, and both were hanged on the gallows, and it was written in the book of the Chronicles in the presence of the king. After these things, King Ahasuerus promoted Haman, the son of Hamadatha, the Agagite, and advanced him, and set his seat above all the princes who were with them. And all the king's servants who were within the king's gate bowed and paid homage to Haman, for the king had commanded concerning him, but Mordecai would not bow or pay homage. Then the king's servants who were within the king's gate said to Mordecai, Why do you transgress the king's command? Now it happened when they spoke to him daily, and he would not listen to them, that they told it to Haman to see whether Mordecai's words would stand, for Mordecai had told them that he was a Jew. When Haman saw that Mordecai did not bow or pay him homage, Haman was filled with wrath, but he disdained to lay hands on Mordecai alone, for they told him of the people of Mordecai. Instead, Haman sought to destroy all the Jews who were throughout the whole kingdom of Ahasuerus, the people of Mordecai. In the first month, which is the month of Nisan, in the twelfth year of King Ahasuerus, they cast pur, that is the lot, before Haman to determine the day and the month, until it fell on the twelfth month, which is the month of Adar. 
Then Haman said to King Ahasuerus, There is a certain people scattered and dispersed among the people in all the provinces of your kingdom. Their laws are different from all other people's, and they do not keep the king's laws. Therefore, it is not fitting for the king to let them remain. Verse 9, If it pleases the king, let a decree be written that they be destroyed, and I will pay 10,000 talents of silver into the hands of those who do the work to bring it into the king's treasuries. Verse 10, So the king took his signet ring from his hand and gave it to Haman, the son of Hamathada, the Agagite, the enemy of the Jews. Let's pray. Father, I ask for anointing. I pray that these words that were spoken 2,500 years ago will speak again tonight. And God, we thank you that you are at work, oh God, that your unseen hand is divinely positioning your people. And Father, I pray tonight in this service, expose plots of the wicked that are against the people of God and deliver us. We ask this in Jesus' name and all of God's people said, amen. I want you to consider um, the key figures in this story tonight as we begin to understand uh, the book of Esther. I want to begin and talk tonight, first of all, about a man named Haman. Now, Haman is one of the central figures of the book of Esther. Now, what we have read is that there had been an assassination plot against a king, and it had been exposed, um, and in the fallout of this assassination plot, these two uh, uh, high-profile men um, are found to want to kill the king. The Bible says they are arrested and they are hanged, um, and uh, they are replaced by this man, Haman. He is promoted to the king's deputy. He is made the, the most prominent figure in all of Persia aside from the king. And we read that this man, Haman, was a petty, self-serving man. Um, he's the kind of man that demands that everybody bow to him, um, that everybody show him obeisance. Um, and uh, he, uh, the Bible says he longed for this. Um, and it says in verse 5 that when Haman saw that Mordecai did not bow or pay him homage, Haman was filled with wrath. We get a little picture of this man, Haman. He's the kind of guy um, who is petty and demands respect from everybody. And so I'm just going to stop right here and throw this in uh, because we believe in raising up leaders. Uh, listen, don't be a kind of leader that demands that everybody respect you all the time. You don't demand respect, you earn respect. It's really troubling uh, when you find out that you've given authority to somebody who's going around and abusing their authority with people, right? And this is the way Haman was. He immediately uh, wanted everybody to bow down to him, and if he felt someone didn't give him due respect, he hated that person. The Bible says he was filled um, with wrath. What makes this story even more interesting and what makes this man Haman infamous uh, is that he had a deep, visceral, that means emotional, uh, abiding hatred of the Jews uh, who were now living in Persia. They, are, they were the people of Daniel's generation that had been taken and brought to Babylon. And when the Persians conquered Babylon, they were now living in Persia. And there was a large Jewish society uh, in the land of Persia. And the Bible says this man hated them with a deep and abiding hatred. Verse 6 says that Haman sought to destroy all the Jews who were up throughout the whole kingdom of Ahasuerus, the people of Mordecai. The Bible says in verse 8 that Haman went to King Ahasuerus and said there's a certain people scattered and dispersed among the people in all the provinces of your kingdom. Their laws are different from all other people's. They do not keep the king's laws. Therefore, it is not fitting for the king to let them remain. If it pleases the king, let a decree be written that they be destroyed, and I will pay 10,000 talents of silver into the hands of those who do the work to bring it to the king's treasury. So the Bible says uh, that Haman hatches this plot, and this plot uh, is that he is, he is going to kill all the Jews. He is going to commit a genocide 
in the land of Persia and the Bible says that he persuades the king um, to, that this is necessary, that these people are rebels, that these people are a threat to his kingdom um, and so the Bible says the king believes Haman gives him his ring or his signature uh, and gives him free reign to plan the demise of the Jewish people. All of this driven by the hatred of this man Haman towards the Jews. Now I want you to understand tonight church um, that the spirit of Haman still lives. See Prime Minister Netanyahu got it right. When he gave President Obama the scroll of Esther, uh, he is saying in effect that the spirit of Haman exists today 2,500 years later. That there are still people in the earth um, with a deep, abiding, irrational hatred for the Jewish people. That that, beloved, hasn't changed, that it is still working today. Now, you read the Bible, you see this is true, where there were people who had an irrational hatred for the Jews. Pharaoh, even in plague after plague, began to destroy Egypt. He would not yield, he would not, and finally, when the angel of death passes over and kills the firstborn of all the animals and of every Egyptian home, and he releases the Jews uh, to flee to the promised land. Uh, he again changes his mind uh, and orders his chariots to pursue him. Uh, that is irrational hatred for the Jews. It is Goliath who stands uh, and defies and blasphemes uh, the God of Israel. It is Sennacherib uh, who, as he surrounds Jerusalem, uh, begins to call out and mock uh, and speak to the Jews uh, not to trust uh, in Hezekiah, not to trust uh, in Jehovah God, uh, and begin to blaspheme God. It is Herod. And I could go on and on. This isn't just true with Bible figures, folks. This is true historically. If you know anything about the nation of Israel, there is a deep abiding hatred. Before the time of Jesus, there was a man named Antiochus Epiphanes. He was a, he was a general from Egypt when, he, when, when Egypt had been divided into four different uh, uh, nations. And the Bible says, or not the Bible, but history says that Antiochus Epiphanes came and took control of Jerusalem and he was so foul that he went into the temple and he began to uh, stand up there in place of the Ark of the Covenant and declare that he was God. He was kind of a prophetic picture of the Antichrist and they would bring in pigs and they would slaughter them in the temple no less mocking and making fun uh, of the revelation uh, of the temple and temple worship. You can read uh, later on about the Russian pogroms, uh, the horrible, horrible persecution uh, of Jews um, in Russia in the 17 and 1800s uh, where Jews were eradicated and moved and mistreated. Uh, you can, uh, many of you are familiar with the actions of Adolf um, Hitler in Germany and they believe that he is responsible for the death of, of six million Jews. Nations like Poland, where the largest population of Jews in the world were less than 100 years ago and were erratic, completely wiped out. Where the finest engineering minds in the world, in Germany, used their minds to come up with the most efficient way to kill as many Jews as possible in the shortest period of time. I've shared this story before about the SS St. Louis. Over 900 Jews, 1939. It is now clear what Germany has going to do. In 1939, over 900 Jews get on this ship, and they're trying to escape. They're looking for asylum. They know by now what the Hitler has planned for them. This ship sails across the Atlantic Ocean and goes to Cuba. They're seeking asylum, but the Cubans don't want to let them in. This is uh, prior to becoming a communist country, and, and they don't want to touch it. They're intimidated. They've, uh, the Germans have already made it known to every nation in the world uh, that they would consider this an offense if they received these people. Uh, and so uh, uh, they negotiate, negotiate. Uh, uh, a few of them are able to pay some money, $150, and get off the boat. But finally, Cuba says no, and they turn towards the United States of America in 1939. 
I mean, Jews have been arrested. Uh, they cannot even get jobs anymore in, in, in Germany. It is obvious what is happening. And yet they come to America and Franklin Roosevelt, uh, not wanting to offend uh, Adolf Hitler, not wanting to offend the Germans, turns these people around and sends them back to Europe. If you get off in England, the rest go back onto Europe. Um, and as they are uh, brought to Europe, they are unloaded mainly in, in Belgium and in, in the Netherlands. Uh, a year later, Belgium and the Netherlands fall to the Germans. And those same people who were turned away by the world uh, are imprisoned and ended up dead. An irrational hatred of the Jew. If you pay attention, if you've read anything about the Occupy Wall Street movement, you will find that it is that same irrational hatred of the Jew. If you pay attention tonight to the supremacist movements in America today, the Christian identity movement, you will find an irrational hatred of the Jew. Israel is the only nation not allowed on the Human Rights Commission in the UN. Although only 1% of Japanese have ever had any contact with a Jewish person, Best-selling books in Japan blame the Jews for everything from disasters to the stock market crash of 1993. June 1st, Associated Press issued its first report of the heinous suicide bombing at a Tel Aviv disco that killed 20 young Israelis. The headline was, Explosion Kills Bomber in Tel Aviv. When 100,000 supporters of Israel marched down Manhattan's Fifth Avenue to celebrate Israel's 54th birthday, the New York Times photograph was of a placard and Israeli occupation. There have been over 131,000 votes in the UN against Israel. The spirit of Haman still lives. That would do anything to injure the Jew. It is, it, it, this is what the prime minister is saying to our president. Don't kid yourself. Now let me just throw this in tonight because we're Christian and that is that you and I are children of Abraham by faith. Amen. I am not into going and trying to find my Jewish roots. I have Jewish roots and it comes from the blood of Jesus Christ that adopted me into the family of God and made me an heir of the covenant. Amen. I'm not, I'm not, we're, not, we're not into, you know, that somehow you're more spiritual if you were a Jew. The Bible says the true Jew is, a Jew, is circumcised in the heart anyway. But I will say this to you tonight, folks, that that spirit that hates God's covenant people reaches down to the Christian. Plots made against them. The Bible says on a certain day they cast the lot, the purr, and that, dot, that, that date that fell on a certain date and they began to hatch a plan uh, to catch all the Jews by surprise and slaughter them. That was what was going on. There was a plot uh, and that plot was to destroy uh, God's people in a day. I just want to say this to you tonight before I turn the page in this sermon and that is uh, that if you're going to live for God, you better understand that there is a spirit that hates you and is plotting against you. I mean, they were setting up a plan to a surprise attack, uh, and I submit to you that that will happen to you, that the devil will plan and plot. Two times, the Bible says, they plotted to kill the apostle Paul, secretly uh, began to arrange and position men uh, in certain places uh, to catch him unawares. Both times the plot was exposed. Uh, it will happen to you. Some of you right now, you're going through things. You're going through temptations. You're caught up in bitterness and, and hatred. You're snared tonight by maybe uh, making money. Uh, maybe you ought to step back and ask yourself, Am, have I walked into a trap? Has that spirit of Haman that hates God's people, uh, set things up and arrange things so that I am walking right into a trap. I want to talk to you tonight about the role of the righteous. Because another key element to this story is there were some righteous people divinely positioned by God in the middle of this assault. Let me tell you something, church. What you do matters. The story of deliverance in the book of Esther is a story about a, a man and a woman who made up their mind they were going to do the will of God and began to understand that where they were, they were by divine position. 
And that God, who knows everything, had, done, had, had begun to move and position Mordecai and Esther. Now, you have heard me say in the past that the book of Esther is the only book in the Bible where you will not find the name God one time. But when you read this story, you read about a divine positioning. That even as the enemy has his plots and his plans to destroy God's people, God responds by placing people in key positions to thwart the very plots of hell. Now, I want to talk to you about these two people tonight. Number one is this man, Mordecai. Mordecai is a godly Jew. The Bible says that he adopts his younger cousin Esther as his own daughter. Her parents are dead. And what happens is early on in the book of uh, Esther, uh, the king um, gets angry at his wife. Uh, uh, he's having a drunken party, uh, and uh, he wants to show her off uh, in front of all of his drunk friends. And thank God, uh, Queen Vashi had enough self-respect to say, talk to the hand. I am not going to parade around like this. I mean, no, that's a good doctrine. I'm not going to parade around. And the king gets upset, and in a fit of rage, he has Vashti removed. Whether that meant taken away or killed, we don't know. All we know is he woke up the next morning regretting what he had done, because when you, do, when you drink, you do stupid things. There's always a morning after, folks. And so uh, his servants, who had talked him into getting rid of her, are scared. So they say, why don't you have a beauty contest? Why don't you have a reality show? And, uh, and go and get a number of uh, uh, girls from this far and wide, order them to come. And so they have this whole contest where girls are made. It doesn't say that Esther enrolled. I don't believe Esther was one of those ambitious reality show types. Right? I don't believe she's one of those ambitions, ambitious, I'm going to put myself on YouTube and maybe get discovered types. They, they took her. She was pretty and they took her and put her in this um, and the Bible says uh, that uh, uh, Mordecai goes with her to look out for her and the Bible says he stood outside the palace there in Shushan to make sure that she was okay she's chosen we know that Mordecai now lives in Shushan the, the palace and as he is in the palace we begin to see that this man is divinely positioned when this crisis materializes. Now, let me stop right here and say this. If you're blessed tonight, if you've been promoted on your job, if you have some money, you better stop and remember that God divinely positions people for a reason. He didn't elevate you or promote you or give you that business just for your own benefit things are happening that you know nothing about and he puts Mordecai now in the palace because Esther has been made queen and you begin to see a number of qualities emerge from this man Mordecai that I believe are worth it tonight to pay attention to in light of the spirit of Haman that is now at work in our world number one Mordecai had integrity the Bible says it was while he was there in the palace that he overheard uh, of the assassination plot against the king, um, and it was Mordecai that spoke up and exposed the plot. Now think about it. Mordecai is a captive. He has been taken from his homeland. He has been brought first to Babylon. Now he's in Persia. He is a man that is living in an oppressed society, um, and the Bible says when he heard about this assassination plot, uh, he was willing to speak up. He was willing to say, you know, this isn't right, what they're doing. Um, and rather than uh, look at all the injustices of life or the unfairness of that regime, uh, he didn't do that uh, and throw in his lot with the assassins. Uh, he said, no, 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 what you are doing is wrong. And he had integrity to speak up. And beloved, listen, we live in a fallen world. We live in an unrighteous world. But, but how many know God wants us to have integrity to be honest in a dishonest world? The Bible says that part of our Christian testimony is what our testimony is with those who are without. It is quite possible to come to church uh, and carry yourself a certain way among the brethren, uh, but when you step outside the church, uh, out there, uh, people may know you in an entirely different way. They say, oh yeah, that guy, yeah, that guy doesn't pay his bills. 
Amen. Oh, yeah, yeah, that, that person's a rotten testimony. He had the integrity to say, you know what, this may be a heathen king, but right is still right. Not only did he have integrity, Mordecai was faithful. The Bible says that even after the plot is exposed, remember, he is the one who saved the king's neck, but somehow he didn't get credit for saving the king's neck. Now, this may be conjecture on my part, but it says that when, when uh, the assassination plot was exposed, Haman was promoted, and Haman hates Mordecai. I don't think it's far-fetched to think that Haman stole the credit that belonged to Mordecai. That somehow Haman, had, you know, you ever met somebody who steps in and tries to get the credit that they don't deserve? That somehow Haman got the promotion even though Mordecai is the one who actually spoke up. I think that was one of the reasons why Haman hated Mordecai so much. And later on, when Mordecai was discovered to have done, Haman is the one who is humiliated because of it. But what is amazing to me, what impresses me, is that you don't have anything in Mordecai, no grief, uh, having been overlooked for doing this good deed. That he continued to be faithful, that he continued to uh, uh, serve him, he continued to be involved in the gate, that means he had some responsibility. And I would say to you tonight, one of the real tests of life um, is, uh, what do you do when you don't get the credit, or what do you do when somebody else gets the credit in your place? You know, I hear people sometimes say, well, I just don't feel appreciated. I remember having somebody tell me, I've been doing this ministry for 20 years and nobody has ever thanked me. And yet Mordecai just went right back to his job, went right back to his responsibility and said, you know what, I'm going to be faithful. And this positioned him this positioned him when, when word came out about the plot against the Jews. Uh, it's because Mordecai was in a place where he could hear about it. That he hadn't allowed being overlooked or set aside or unthanked to cause him to pull back or pull away. Uh, and then when this important bit of information came uh, about this plot, uh, he would have not been there. But he was positioned because he remained faithful. Mordecai had a conscience. He endured incredible persecution and pressure. Listen to me. What causes you and I to resist the pressure from the outside is having pressure from the inside called the conscience. The Bible says two times he refused to bow to Mordecai. Even every day, the Bible says people would come up to him and begin to say, why don't you bow? You're causing problems for yourself. Why don't you just give in? And the Bible says that he stood there and explained, I can't bow down. I'm a Jew. I can't do this. You don't get it. And he had the ability to stand and resist because there was a conscience in this man. There was a deep sense of right and wrong that was internal. And so it didn't really matter what people did externally. It is this conscience that speaks when he discovers this plot to kill the Jews uh, and he's trying to figure out how am I going to, how am I going to stop this uh, and he realizes the only hope is his cousin Esther who is now the queen of the land and he goes to her in the most famous verse of all the book of Esther, Esther 4, 13 and 14, Mordecai, Mordecai told them to answer, tell them to answer Esther. This is Mordecai speaking to the queen. Do not think in your heart that you will escape in the king's palace any more than all the other Jews. For if you remain completely silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house will perish. And yet who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. See, when you have a conscience, you can be a conscience for other people. When you have a conscience, you're not afraid to speak clearly. That would have been convicting to Queen Esther. That he would say to her, listen, dear, you think you're going to escape because you're the king's wife? Don't kid yourself. And not only that, uh, if you refuse to speak up, you'll be, God will find another way, but you will be destroyed. And by the way, Esther, who knows 
who knows that the position you hold today, you hold because God put you there for this purpose. If we are going to thwart the plots, we must have an intact conscience. Something inside us that is overruling the pressures from the outside. Second character, of course, is Queen Esther. And we read about Esther, it appears she simply won a beauty contest. We don't have time to go into the whole story, but she wins this contest, she becomes the queen. But then the words of Mordecai ring in our ears. Who knows whether you were called to the kingdom for such a time as this? In other words, maybe you didn't win because you were that, all that. Maybe you didn't win because you have the right hairstyle or you did this or that. You know, maybe it had nothing to do with that. Maybe you are where you are because God decided to put you there. Because God looked all the way down the road uh, and he could see this plot of the enemy uh, beginning to take place. Um, and so he says, what I'm going to do is I'm going to take you and I'm going to put you right here. Because it's going to be important. Reading Tim Tebow's biography. And one thing I like about this guy, pray that he goes to the Raiders. Uh, is again and again he talks about how as he began to get more and more widely known and more and more popular in college he kept saying God has given me this platform God has given me this that he interpreted all the favor and promotion awards and this God has given me this platform that there's a reason for this not that I'm a great football player but that there's a reason for this he mentioned in his book how they were going to the national championship against uh, Oklahoma. I'm sorry, Paul. And uh, they were going to play this game. And so he had been wearing eye black. What eye black is, is these players put these black, they used to paint it on. Now it's actually strips. And they put it on. And the idea there is that it will uh, help with uh, the, the, the light and give you the ability to see and not get your eyes blinded and stuff like that. And so he, during the season, he felt God deal with them and he started writing Philippians 4.13 Philippians 4.13 I can do all things through Christ and strengthen me he wrote the verse he, didn't, he wrote the, the reference he didn't write the whole verse you know like Tracy McGrady or something and he, he put his, his eye black on and he did it in a national tele televised game and, and he knew that as a quarterback the camera would key on him and Philippians 4.13 and so he did that and then the national championship game he felt God deal with them. Don't put that verse, put John 3.16. And uh, he put that on there, played the game, and he made the statement afterwards that they told him that that night during the national championship game, there were 94 million Google hits for John 3.16. 94 million Google hits for John 3.16 during the game. Because he understood, I have been positioned here. See, here's Esther. She's the queen. And Mordecai says, you're going to have to speak up. Now, you have to understand, in those days, the queen didn't just go to the king and say, who do you think you are? Uh, you're going to kill my... You know, she didn't do that. In fact, in Bible days, in Esther's day, she wasn't even allowed to talk to the king unless he asked for her. If she tried to talk to the king without him asking for her, he could kill her. Now, don't turn to your wife and say, you know what, we're going back to the Bible right now. <laughs> and so when Mordecai says, you got to speak up, he's saying, you've got to take your life in your own hands. Esther begins to tell everybody, spread the word, pray and fast, uh, and I'm going to go ahead and risk my life. And she says, if I perish, I perish. And so she goes into the throne room um, and just having stepped into the throne room was, could have been punishment by death. And she gets there uh, and the king is there and the way they would do it, the king would be sitting in his throne uh, and they would have a, a man there holding the scepter and if he wanted someone to go forward, he'd point the scepter at you saying, okay, you can come forward. 
And so when she came and the king saw her, he had every right to say, kill her. He'd already gotten rid of one. And the Bible says that she came forward, risked her life, and he saw her, and he put out the scepter, and she came and she touched it. That she understood something. Listen, you have to be willing to risk the promotion God gave you to fulfill his purpose. I'm going to make a statement. You're not where you are by your own bootstraps. I appreciate your hard work. I appreciate you. But I'm telling you, God puts you there for a reason. It's amazing to me, beloved. People, they get blessed. They have all these resources, uh, but they never increase their giving in road of vanity. They never increase their liberality. It's like, wait a minute. Who gave you that job? Pat Tillman. I preached about him years ago. He was the Arizona Cardinal defensive back who was offered $3.4 million to re-sign with the Cardinals. $3.4 million. And to everybody's shock, Pat Tillman said, no, I'm quitting football, joining the Army. I want to be a Green Beret and go fight in Iraq and Afghanistan. And he walked away from $3.4 million to go fight in Afghanistan and Iraq and people were like, man, you're an NFL football player. You've done this. And then, you know, his response was, I haven't done anything. His grandfather was at Pearl Harbor. And, and it was headline news. It was a cover story. And shortly thereafter, Pat Tillman was killed in action. Because somebody said, you know what? I have been put here not to play it safe, but, to, but, but there's a purpose for my being here. That's what Esther did. There, you know what? There's a purpose for me being here. It was not to, to kick back, but to sacrifice. I've been given this position to sacrifice. God put me here. Let me close and talk about the unseen hand of God. We can finish. See, the wonderful story of the scroll of Esther is that God is able to thwart the plots of the wicked. You and I better remember this in the hostile world that we are living in. I hope you have underlined in your Bible, Psalm 64, verse 2, hide me from the secret plots of the wicked. That you pray that, God, there are things out there the enemy is arranging and plotting. He threw the poor and landed on a certain date. All right, on this date, we're... I'm telling you, friend, that the devil does that to you. All right, uh, on this date, uh, let's begin to arrange this and arrange that and arrange this. Uh, and on this date, we're going after him. And our response is, God, deliver me from the plots of the wicked that are made in secret. Now, I'm not trying to make you a conspiracy freak. I am not going to give you a tinfoil hat as you leave the building today. But I'm trying to stir your faith. God, you can step in. That if I will have the character manifested by Mordecai and Esther, you can step in and you can frustrate the plots of the wicked. Let me tell you very quickly what happens in 24 hours. They're approaching assassination day. They are approaching D-Day. And the invisible hand of God that had divinely positioned Mordecai and Esther begins to work his plan, and in, in 24 hours, it just goes on. First thing that happens is that Esther approaches the king, and the king allows her to come. and says, what do you want? She says, I have a request. Can, can you and Haman come to lunch tomorrow? And the king says, oh, yeah, I, I can do that. Uh, that's fine. And so uh, he tells Haman, hey, tomorrow, I want you and me are going to go have lunch with the queen. Haman says, wow, glory, I'm getting promoted. Uh, I must be getting a raise. And he goes home, um, and he tells his wife, uh, the king that wants me to have lunch with him and the queen tomorrow, I mean, that's it. I must be getting another promotion uh, and everything else. Um, and, and he says, I'm so, man, I, 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 this is great. You know what, if, if that guy Mordecai was dead then I'd even be happier and Mrs. Haman 
Hamana says, why don't, you, why don't you go and make some gallows and hang them? And just, don't just kill them, but I mean kill them in a grand style. He says, you're right. And then Haman orders uh, gallows uh, 70 feet high. How I many know you don't need 70 feet to hang somebody? But he is so filled with anger, he, he, he tells them, uh, you know, we're going to you know, make these gallows. We're gonna, I, I, wanna, I want this guy to die. I want to see it. Well, that, that night, the king goes to sleep. Can't sleep at night. Anybody never be able to sleep at night? And so he, the Bible says he calls for the records. Just nothing to do. Might as well, you know, read the records. I know some of you want us to go read Second Chronicles. And uh, so he goes through these records. And as he's, you know, just reading, he happens to read the account of how Mordecai is the one who actually saved him from the assassination. And he's sitting there and he realizes, you know what? I never thanked this guy. Somehow he didn't get the credit he deserved. Read Haman. And so the king now feels bad. Like, man, this man, you know, saved my life. I never did anything for him. You know, I remember years ago, I preached a Thanksgiving Day sermon on that about how it's possible there are people who really helped you that you haven't even bothered to say thank you to. That's another sermon. But uh, he's like, man, we should be grateful to this guy. And so what he does is he, uh, 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 you know, early the next morning, he calls for Haman. Haman comes in. He says, Haman, what should I do for somebody that I really want to thank? Now, Haman, the idiot, is thinking, well, wow, you know, I get, you know, it's like, you know, it's like your wife, you know, well, what, what, what you would like for your birthday, you know, and so he's, Haman thinks he's, you know, and so Haman's like, well, you know, I would put him in the king's chariot, you know, I would have a, a, a somebody go in front of the chariot uh, and say, this is uh, how the king uh, uh, thanks uh, the man whom he delights in, you know, and he just kind of describes what to do. And so the king says, you got a good idea. I want you to go get Mordecai. I put him in my chariot, and I want you to walk in front of him telling everybody what a great guy he is. <laughs> this is all happening within 24 hours. Haman cannot believe it. And so I believe that's why the king knew Haman had taken the credit. And now he's making Haman give the credit to whom it's due. And, and so Haman has, he hates this man. He's building gallows 70 feet high and he's having to walk through the city and telling everybody what a great guy Mordecai is. After that, Haman's all embarrassed and humiliated. Now it's time for lunch. They go to the lunch um, and Queen Esther's there and I'm sure she made the king's favorite meal. I'm sure Esther said, I'm going to be queen with a capital Q right now. And so she probably made this setting uh, uh, so that the king would be very proud of her and everything else. And she's made uh, his favorite meal. And, uh, and they come in and the, queen's, um, the king's feeling good, you know. They're going to have this lunch. And then all of a sudden, Esther starts crying. <laughs> uh, the king's like, what is it? What is it? You know, uh, men respond to, to that. You know, what, what's wrong? What's wrong? And she says, I just want to know, why are you going to kill me and all my people? Um, this is at a banquet there's food everywhere you know the king you know he's in a good mood and all of a sudden now the one that's making him feel good is crying saying why do you want to kill me and my people now remember she he doesn't even know she's a jew and the king gets all defensive for his wife who wants to kill you him and it's Haman, man. Haman's like, you know, he just had to go do this for Mordecai. And all of a sudden now, he's the king's altar. Who wants to kill? He is this wicked man. That's what she says, this wicked man. And the king now realizes that he had been duped, misused. Uh, and the Bible says he gets so mad that he walks out of the room onto the balcony to calm down. Remember, he has a bad temper. He had already offed his other wife, you know. And so he's, he's, he's come there. <sighs> You know, trying to calm down. Mordecai, I mean, Haman is so scared. He's like, oh, Esther, come on, man. I'm sorry. Are you a Jew? And he's all worried and everything, and she walks away, and he's so desperate, he throws himself across the bed, and he's like, please, please. And the king walks in and sees him lying on the bed and says, oh, no, you didn't. <laughs> and he says to him, what? You don't want to just kill her? You want to rape her? All within 24 hours. Months and months of plotting and planning and 10,000 talents being dispersed and little secret meetings and what we're going to do. Oh, months and months. And in 24 hours, the 
king is so ticked off. Uh, I think he looked outside and goes, wow, who, where, who are these gallows? Who, who, who made these gallows? Uh, and the Bible says Haman hangs on the gallows that were made for Mordecai. Right. Hallelujah. That's the scroll that he gave Obama yesterday on Monday. The Bible says the king takes his signet and overrules a new decree, sparing the life of the Jews. Not only that, they begin to raise money and they begin to pass out weapons to all the Jews. The Jews now are aware of the plot. The, the, the secret is, is exposed. And the Bible says on the night of Purim, the night of Pur, when they were supposed to kill the Jews, uh, the Bible says rather than killing the Jews, 75,000 of the assassins were killed in one night. I want you to listen to me for the next minute here because this is a fascinating thought. The Jews were so excited, so grateful the way God had turned this that they instituted a feast on that night. They're called the Feast of Purim and they have observed it for 2,500 years in remembering how God turned around and frustrated the plot of Haman against them. And they gather together and they celebrate uh, and they have this meal. They, they, they exchange presents uh, and they do different things to remember how the plot of the wicked was thwarted. And God saved them and delivered them. Here's Hitler. You know what Hitler did when he became uh, Chancellor of Germany? You know what he did? First thing he did, not the first, but one of the first things he did, he outlawed the Feast of Purim. Hitler took this story and used to say, if we don't kill them, they will kill us just like they did in the book of Esther. And he used to say often, there will never be another feast of Purim. There will never be another Purim. There will not be a second Purim. That's where his words were. There will not be a second Purim. Because he knew full well that the spirit in him was the spirit of Haman. Tonight, March 7th is the Feast of Purim. Did you know that? Tonight. Jews all around the world celebrate God who stepped in, saved them, frustrated the plot. And I'm going to tell you tonight, there are people here, God wants to help you. You know what the, the worst or the most sinister plot that is at work in the world today? And if you're a visitor, hear these last words. Here they were, they were secretly plotting to kill unsuspecting Jews. I'm telling you tonight, Satan has a plot against you, and that plot is for you to die and go to hell. Live your life for money, live your life for pleasure, live your life for everything else. Just think because you're a good person that you're going to die and you're going to go to heaven. That's a plot. And we're here tonight to expose the plot. Can you say amen? Uh, and let you know that Jesus Christ, God's son, died on a cross in your place and his blood can forgive your sins. Uh, and you don't have to go to hell. You can go to heaven tonight uh, because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen. And for that, we rejoice. Let's bow our heads. The scroll of Esther. I'm telling you, there's a God who can get involved tonight in your life. Forgive your sin, change you. What's the snare against you? What's the plot the enemy's working against you tonight? What's the trap that the enemy has carefully crafted to keep you from being saved, to keep you from Jesus? Oh, I'm a good religious person. Well, you know, I'm an intellectual, and I can't believe that. Or, you know what, I'm having too much fun. I'm telling you tonight, it's a trap, it's a plot. Jesus loves you. He can save your soul tonight. He can forgive your sin. He can blow up the strategies of the devil. And tonight he can make himself real. I wonder if there's anybody here that say, Pastor Ruby, I need forgiveness tonight. I realize my need for Jesus. Would you pray for me? If that's you while our heads are bowed, you want prayer, you want to give your life to Christ tonight, you're ready to reach out to the God who can save you just like he saved those people. I want to give you an opportunity to pray. If that's you, just raise your hand. And by raising your hand, you're saying, I need prayer tonight. I want to give my life to Christ. Would you pray for me? Slip up your hand all around this building. Slip it up. I'm not right with God. I need forgiveness. I need God's mercy on my life. All around this building, God bless you tonight. 
You can put that hand down. Anybody else? Pray for me, Pastor. I'm not right with God. I realize my need for Jesus. Slip up your hand. Anybody at all before I move on. God wants to help you. wants to save you. Lift up your hand. Maybe you're a backslider. You were backslidden precisely because there was a plot against you and you didn't see it. And now you sit in this building, you feel like God's a million miles from you. But you know what? Tonight he thwarts the plots of hell and he can forgive the backslider and he can restore you. Say, that's me, Pastor. Pray for me. Lift up your hand tonight all around this building. I need Jesus tonight. I need to be right with God. Pray for me. Slip it up all around this building. I'm going to hold this just for a moment longer. Give you an opportunity to pray. Praise the Lord. Anybody else, lift up your hand. All right, I want uh, these that lifted your hand. I'm going to ask you to do something to come and make your way to this altar and find a place to pray. Let God help you. Don't be embarrassed. Come to Jesus tonight. He can save you. He can minister in your life. I want you to come. Don't be embarrassed. Just come right now. God will help you. Amen. All right, come on. God's dealing with you. I want you to come. Hallelujah. Any one of the sisters to help us this evening? Praise the Lord. Praise God. Our heads are bowed. I want to speak to the church tonight. Don't embarrass. I need somebody to come and help us this evening. Pray. You can stay right there, and this sister is going to talk to you and pray with you this evening. Is there anybody else? The plots, the plots, the strategies. I'm telling you that hatred that Haman had for the Jews alive today, folks. It is towards the Jew. But you know what? That spirit is also aimed at you. And it's, you know what? I want to destroy. And so the carefully crafted plots and plans. And I think so often as Christians, we don't realize that what we're going through is actually a plot. It was a designed plan. Maybe you're in this building and you're a Christian, but tonight you're caught. It's like you've been trapped. Say, how did I get in this place? What happened to me? There is a hatred towards God's people, folks, that reaches back thousands of years. You know what preserves us? God divinely puts us where he wants us to be. He positions us. And he wants to do something in your life tonight. He wants to help you. Mordecai, I had integrity, conscience, faithfulness. Esther said, you know what? My survival depends on not resting on my laurels, not kicking back because I live a life of ease. It's God, I am willing to sacrifice where I'm at. You put me where I am. And if you're blessed tonight, God puts you there to thwart the plots of hell. And I'm telling you tonight, friend, he can turn it all around in a day. 24 hours, he turned it all around because he had people who would respond and say, God, where I am is because of you. I'm going to ask you to stand with me. I'm going to open.